We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome back to the Eight Black Hands podcast. So excited to be here. You got the regular crew with you today, but we also we also got our brother back. Can we all to collectively welcome back Mr. Chris Stewart, please? Yeah. <laughs> welcome back, back man. How you doing, Chris? Thank you. It is good to be back, brothers. It is good to be back. I had some things going on. Life was taking care of me for a minute. I had some things to do, but it's good to be back. Well, we're we happy to have our brother back, man. And today's topic, uh, it's a really simple message to black folks. And it seemed to be something that's getting lost, but we just going to say it, damn it. Black parents, you are on your own. You mm-hmm. are on your own. And we started having this conversation in the last episode, and then Ray uh, wrote something up. So I'm actually going to throw it to Ray. Um, Ray, take us away, good brother. No problem, man. All right, so <clears throat> what inspired this was Cole. Dr. Cole inspired this this message to black folks. Uh, in a couple episodes that we've been talking about black people being on their own and things that we need to do in order to get our black parents in a place to where they can advocate for their kids. And so, you know, it, it, we're not going to spend too much time on, you know, the, our, the, the origination of why black folks are on their own. We're going to talk solutions this episode. So, Fellas, I'm throwing it back to y'all. What are the solutions for these black folks in terms of getting their kids a quality education? Well, I mean, just stop for a second and say, like, when you say they're on their own, what do you mean? Define that a little bit. What do do you mean they're on their own? What do you mean black people are on your own when it comes to schools? Okay, so cool. So that means that the system is not set up for black kids to succeed. It means that it never was set up for black kids to succeed. And now we need to have real conversations about how we can get black kids to succeed, given the fact that this system is not built for them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I would say it even, <clears throat> and I, I agree with you, I would say it even more direct. Um, I say this a lot. The emperor has no clothes. Black kids have not been educated in mass since ever. Not <clears throat> well anyway. And we keep having these stop gaps that, if only black folks acted differently, if only black folks uh, appreciated education, if only black parents valued this, if only teachers got paid more money, if only they pumped more money into education, then black people could actually do well. And we keep having these stop gaps. But the only thing that's remained true, that's been proven true, is that black kids are always the ones that's disproportionately being left behind. And we're the only ones that continue to get excuse after excuse about why our kids are not being educated. And so while, while, while the elephants are fighting, the grass is suffering and black folks, you on your own. And I, and, and I think it's important for us to have a conversation about one, what that really means, as Chris said, and two, like what are some real solutions out here for you? So Chris, hopefully that explained it a little bit more, but I actually think you and Sharif both might have even more to add just from your experiences, both being black parents. Yeah, I, w- I would say a big part of it is the anti-blackness is real. And a lot of times you, you hear these advocates and activists talking about it as if s- schools are safe from anti-blackness and it's everywhere else in society. And I think, you know, anti-blackness permeates you know, our schools, and it always has been, you know, you can go back from, you know, the inception of, of public schools and, and black children's experience 
black communities experiences with them and black parents experiences with them where it has never, as you said, not even set up and it hasn't even, you know, begun to be fixed in a, in a, in a way that, that, you know, black children are safe intellectually, culturally, emotionally, um, you know, and academically, it just, it just doesn't happen. And you'll see, you know, bright spots scattered around, around the country. But as far as like, you know, as a, as a system, it, it doesn't happen. And you can just keep going back and, and looking, you know, cause you know, a lot of times these people, you know, really sound like, you know, the administration of make America great again. They're just saying make America's schools great again. You know, like all the problems are because of charters or TFA or, you know, um, you know, whatever they, there's always some reason that the schools are, you know, are not serving black communities well. And you keep asking like, where have they, when have they just point us in the direction and so we can replicate it. Right. And what you find, I believe, is if, if we really dig into the research where we find that uh, things have gone well, there's really been um, black institutions. That's where, that's where I think that you'll really see uh, black people pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is, when in the black community could we just automatically rely on any system, any governmental system, um, to do right by black people? And, and that's another area. Like, you put all your trust in, you end up like the Tuskegee experiment or, you know, hmm. the, the redlining with the housing. Like, every, everywhere you turn, there's, a, there's, like, books, at least shelves and shelves of books of how uh, these systems that people want to, you know, fall in love with have absolutely declared war. Some secret, secret wars, some overt, you know? And so I, I think schools are, are not immune from any of that. Right. Brother Chris? I mean, shame on us that a hundred and, I don't know, 55 or how many years it's been since emancipation that we're acting like it's new news, that the system wasn't set up for us, that it wasn't designed for us, that it's not educating our children. Shame on us with all of these people who have all this money and education and positional power and elected officials. We got everything we need. There's no excuse in the world for us not to be educating 8 million black children. The schools can be complete trash and garbage all day long, all day long. Shame on us with all these churches all these nonprofits, all of these like fancy organizations and hotel conferences and nonsense. Shame on us. So listen, it's not news. It's not news at all that the school, that we're on our own. And actually, you know what? The truth of the matter is we're not the only ones that are on our own, right? right? It's not just black kids. Like there's 13 million Latino kids that are kind of on their own. If you were a white family with a twice exceptional child or a gifted child or a child in special education, the entire state of Texas is against you. Right. Like I could go down the list of the kinds of children that the system wasn't designed for. At some point, we're going to need to even join with our allies and be able to just basically say the American public education system was a system of social control from the beginning. And government schools were never the way to go. It was always a way to train people to be sheep. Right. At the end of the day, I won't go all the way there, but I'm just telling you like right now, what's our plan? If you no, no, let me let me not say what's our plan, because I know what my plan is. If you were talking to a mother right now, just one mother by herself, what would you be asking her like, okay, you got to save your baby. What's your plan? What's going to go in your plan? And what would you help her do? And can I give you just a, a, let me add a a piece on there that that came from a parent um, and an educator. Uh, 
He said, if what we're telling families, if your child does not get in a tested school, a magnet school, mm. um, you have failed your child. Mm. And we know that most kids aren't getting into those schools. And so like, what does that mean? And then um, you add on the other side in New York, you're not getting into that school anyway. You're not getting into those magnet schools, right? And so like, what do you tell parents that are, you know, that the, and the man's going to come get you if you don't put him in, in one of those uh, schools in the neighborhood anyway. Well, I mean, it feels like you almost always have to say, and then what? Right. You can't get into the school, and then what? Right. Well, let me add you know. this, though, right? Because I'm going to answer Reef's question and actually address what you were saying, Chris. Because the academy doesn't even talk to parents. So, Chris, you and I have been having this conversation since before I started my dissertation and my doctoral program around what a, what's a, what is what does it mean for a black man to get a, a doctorate or a PhD or EDD? What is, what is a community mm-hmm. dissertation, right? And so I thought about that the entire time. So I took my dissertation and I, I had a group of black moms and I had them read each chapter and whatever they didn't understand, it came out because it's supposed to be in service to them. So that was hurdle one. Hurdle two, the academy, I had to fight the academy to actually make recommendations for parents. Like they wanted me to be talking to the education system. And what to my response was, I don't that for what? Like I'm talking to people that don't care about us. Why not give power to the people that actually have to be that are, are have to raise these babies regardless? Right. So I had to make a compromise. I had to do recommendations both for educators and I had to do and I and I, I was able because I had a, an amazing chair in Dr. Sean Jim. Right. I was able to do recommendations for parents and caretakers. And the one bit of advice, I had a lot of advice for educators, but what I really said to them was like, if you really care the way you say you care, like be a good ally. And here's what I mean by be a good ally. If you can't teach that black child, pull that parent to the side and just say, you know what? I actually care about your child, Chris, but I just, I really, I just, I just don't know how to teach him. And, <laughs> and, and you might be upset in the beginning, you yeah. might be upset in the beginning, but it is a, it's a, it's a forward thinking sign to say, I actually, this person actually does care about my kid, but like, we're going to have to be in partnership. And the, the message that I gave to parents and, you know, I had some parents read it and were crying because they identify with these type of struggles. I said, so what the research showed was one fight for academic excellence, excellence in front of your child. So in all the case studies that I did, right. All of these young black men that were grew up impacted by the crack epidemic that now have doctorate degrees, their parents fought for educational excellence in front of them. They moved them to different schools, right? And what the research actually showed it was, it wasn't the, how the school actually performed was less important than the fact that those parents fought in front of them and made education a priority. The other thing that we were telling parents is like, you got to be the expert on your child. It don't matter if you dropped out of school in the fourth grade or you are a rocket scientist. Like you have to be the quarterback of that team and don't give up your power because you're insecure about your educational or academic prowess. So for instance, for my mom, who was a high school dropout, who was a drug addict, fully trusted the school. And she didn't know what quality was. She, did my baby get his name on the board? And was he happy? You know what I mean? Like, did he get in trouble? Like she didn't, and if I got a good grade, right? She didn't know that just because I got an A in English did not necessarily mean that I was reading that proficiency at the grade level. That was the other thing. The other piece that we try to teach parents that I've been trying to teach parents through my research was understand that the schoolhouse is not the only play in town, baby. So what that means is any entity that gets a, a subsidy that, that, that does not have to pay taxes to the government 
has a responsibility to you. What does that mean? That means our black churches. That means our nonprofit organizations. That means people that have tax exemption, like you should be calling on them in the exact same way. And something that we do differently now than what we did differently before. Let me ask you a question, bro. Yeah. why, Why do you think in your research, why do you think parents aren't doing this already? I think some are, and I think that some, like... Really Let's not talk about the ones that are. Let's talk about the many, 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 the many, 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 because, you know, Let's we get this question all the time. Yeah, yeah. we talk about my mom. I think, I, think yeah. that, I think that there was a lot of insecurity around this realm, right? Like, my mother's not one of those people that felt like, you know how everybody now thinks that they're an expert in education because they all went to school? Like, my mother recognized that she wasn't an expert in education, right? She trusted those school buildings to do what their job was to do. And so, you know, my mother was trying to get her own life together. My mother, like, trying to make, we were living in the shelter, fam. Like, my mother was trying to get off of drugs, you know? Like, her thing was, look, if I got them fed, if I got them dressed and I drop them off to you, I expect you to do your job. And I think that there are a lot of folks that are trying to just make it and to just live and their kid might be doing well. Their kid might actually have a 4.0 or a 3.5, right? But they don't know that their child is not performing at grade level. The other thing that came up in that study, and I'm going to shut up in a second, was the term inner city smart. What inner city smart was, was we had people in our study that actually had a 4.0, 3.83 GPA in high school, got into college, and then were instantly remedial everything. So around the black folks and the black and, and, and the level of rigor I was getting at the black school, it was so low that here I thought that I was really rocking stuff. And then I got on an equal playing field and I'm with all these other people and I'm remedial everything. So like the term that we coined for that, and I went through that as well personally, was inner city smart, right? Like a lot of times we don't know that the quality that we getting is not quality at all. So what we're trying to do is actually build a resource guide for parents to go in and check the books that their kids are reading to see exactly what grade level that book is at. So if I'm reading Romeo and Juliet in the 12th grade versus the eighth grade, I actually know, wait, something's wrong here because my kids should have actually got that four years ago. Like our people just don't know. Y'all are educators and we take that stuff for granted. People don't know what grade level work looks like. And I'll just say I'm not an educator. (laughs) I'll just be real clear. I'm a parent who had to figure this stuff out. And school wasn't good for me. It didn't work out for me. It worked out for my oldest. And that was my whole, that's the only reason I'm here right now in this discussion. But, you know, my question is around, like, we have to expect more of our kids. We keep saying that. But actually, don't we need to expect more of our parents first? Bruh, if you got a a parent that's reading on a fourth grade reading level, how do you expect that parent to go into a school and advocate for their kid who, in a Romeo-Juliet scenario that you just used, how you expect somebody that's on a fourth grade reading level to go in and do and do that kind of advocating for their kid? I mean, what 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 do we expect of that parent? I mean, like like because we can always this is what's going to happen in, in conversations like this. We are always going to make we're going to infantilize that parent no matter what, and we'll never win that way. We're never going to win as a race if we keep infantilizing parents. No, to no, the no. Point I, where, I, I, where we let them off the hook for everything. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to let them off the hook, but I'm trying to give someone that's reading on a fourth grade level strategies in order to be able to go in and advocate for their kid. Yeah, that's, but if so, we, that's real. If that's we look real. at yeah, but if we look at the history of you know um, illiterate parents who push their children to you know reach for the stars and be excellent, we have that history. Like we can that's we can right. pull that's that right. out and, right. and 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 share it. And I, I think I think the main difference is 
is what has happened is, is that people have let their guard down, whether it's a parent on a fourth grade level or, or you know, a doctoral degree. Like I think black parents have let their guard down. When they knew clearly that, hey, you know what? We're fresh off the, uh, the plantation and, and we're, surround, we're in enemy camp. We're surrounded by an enemy. Then we're, we're going to have to like fight like hell to ensure that our children and grandchildren are literate. We're going to sacrifice everything. We're going to put all our eggs in the education bucket. Right. I, I think what's happened over, over the term is like, you know, people, you know, our, our families have let their guard down. And, and I think educators have played a big role in that and saying like, hey, don't worry about it. Just drop the kid off. Just trust us. And, you know, what's that saying? What did Maya say? Like when, when they show you who they are, believe them the first believe time. Believe them. That trust that you just talked about, that shit has to stop. I'm, I'm it sorry does. I'm I mean, push, but it has to stop. We talked about this a few uh, right. a few episodes ago where I wrote that piece about, you know, the Dred Scott decision plays out in education, right? Like their black children, black families have no right, you know, that that the system that white America has to, you know, has to respect. Right. And like judges are like that one judge in Michigan. Right. The federal judge ruled that despite the conditions of these schools that black children are forced to go to. And he described it as nothing short of devastating. Like this is the judge, the federal judge describing the schools and the conditions that black children are, are, are subjected to. He said, despite the fact that they're nothing short of devastating access to literacy and minimal adequate education were not fundamental rights for black children. Like, this is a judge of the federal government <laughs> saying, like, yeah, it's horrific, and you should not expect anything more from us. Mm. I think y'all hit on something, though. Like, in what Charles said and what, and what Raymond said, this thing around trust, like, you trust it. Like, like you trust that you, if I get my kid cleaned up in the morning and fed and they wear good clothes, decent clothes, and I drop them off, I trust that you're going to do your job, that you're going to do what, what you're supposed to do. Say, Don't trust what? it. I know, but you know, it's like it's been bred in us to like trust the systems. If we, if I do my part, you, you're gonna do your part. And then Raymond just said it again too, like that trust stuff has got to stop. It's not a partnership because um, it's killing us. You know, it's not a partnership. Black parents, it is not a partnership. The system my, is not your partner. I tell my parents from day one when we have our first parent meeting, I say when your kids come home and they tell you stories and it doesn't jive well with you, believe that kid. So, you know, I'm not telling you, you know, to check with the teacher first, to see the teacher side or whatever. I mean, of course, you're going to have to hear the teacher side. But usually if something rubbed a kid the wrong way, it rubbed them a the wrong way for the for 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 a good reason. Right. And kids, you know, you got to somebody said earlier about being an expert on your kid. You should be the only expert on your kid. You know when your kid, you know when your kid is coming home and telling you the truth. You know when your kid is not telling you the truth or whatever. So if your kid is coming home, looking you in the face, and telling you, this teacher called me dumb, or this teacher called me stupid, or this teacher made me feel this way, or this teacher made me feel that way, man, you better be at that school the next day advocating for that kid. And I think, I mean, I, I, I think it doesn't have to be like, like, look, I, I see it in a bunch of different ways. I, I agree with all of that. I also think that I, I come at this from a different a different lens. All three of y'all are fathers. Like I'm not a father. Right. And so there's a term that I use called, I mean, I was, 
an education translator in my home, right? So you got a lot of you got a lot of coined phrases you're doing. This <laughs> <laughs> like, you mean like, like Webster? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, you trying to DM everything? Like, what the hell? Is that? Go ahead, Doc. Do your thing, Doc. You got coined. Come on, phrases. Doc. Doc, you got to coin the phrases. What did you call this again? Education translator? Education translator. Education translator. Okay. And think, right. of it as, think of it as somebody that's bilingual in the house and a, and a group of parents that only speak the native language, right? So we've seen this before. Uh, when I was a social worker, I dealt with this a lot, right? I dealt with having to tell children very sensitive information so they could translate it to their parents so the whole household could be good. So in my family, I was an education translator. My parents didn't speak education at the time, right? So the onus was on me, and I'm not saying that that's fair or not, right? But we have a lot of kids in our system that are the education translators as, as, as well as being the translators in their home. What I'm trying to, what, the, the thing that I'm saying, and I, and I get, like, y'all should keep driving home those points for parents, right? But I'm not, I'm not a parent. I don't have that moral ground that y'all have. But what I will say is, to parents, is, like, people... People keep trying to give the credit of where I got academically to schools, and that's not fair. I named one or two teachers that were great for me, and then a lot that weren't. But I gave my first talk in church. I learned leadership by being voted like the vice president at church. I learned about being a teammate uh, on the basketball team at the Boys and Girls Club. Like, there are other... Which I dispute. Hmm? Which I dispute. Whenever you want this work, you can get it. Um, you can get this work. There's nothing. It's not, but, but what I'm saying is, is like, like we have people like school choice is something that I'm passionate about that y'all are passionate about. And we got a lot of our families that we're talking to that are in places where they just not going to have a choice or some or, or the politics is too strong and they can't get what they need. And no. And what do we do for Like, I'm thinking about the person that's in the most hopeless situation. And you got to You got to supplement those things, man. And like a lot of education that I got and I would and I would reckon that for this panel, if I really make you think about it, y'all would probably be pointing to a lot of entities outside of the school as well where kids are getting educated. And I just feel like we have to start to, we got to go back to taking a communal like approach to educating our kids and not trusting one source and putting all our eggs in a basket that we've seen has holes in it. And them eggs keep smashing on the floor and we keep wondering why, you know what I'm saying, we keep stepping in yellow stuff. Like we keep putting trust back in these things and it ain't never worked. I, I don't like at what point at, at what point, right? Do you just say, yo, this thing just might not work for black kids. Okay, but wait, but wait. That's a great question. At what point? I mean, god damn it. Like, like what year is this? This is 2019. At what point do people start waking up and just be like, you know what? This is the bottom line. Jeffrey Canada told you a few years ago Superman's not coming. Right. Right. Like he told that story over and over again, over and over. It was like everywhere. So I was when I was in the Bronx, I was like, and you know, the Superman, and you know, he's not coming back. Like him. Right, right. <laughs> Yo, and I loved him for it, but he did this years ago, right? And we still black. What was that? Five degree. He's a physical, that, you know, black, listen, I'm not watching my I'm not I'm not dissing on the brother, you know, but listen, I, all I'm saying is Love that man. He he told us this. Right. Dick Gregory told us this. Like we could go back throughout time, people told us this. But here, here's the thing. I, I, I asked, I, I'm not asking my question the right way. Because what I'm trying to get at is what we're on the hook for 
like to save ourselves because we like when we talk about parents we seem to like talk about them like they're these passive objective beings who are off to the corner and then we explain what their situation is and their condition and they're like you know they're working two jobs they can't get to the thing blah 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 but we're talking about people without people for one that's that that's the first thing the second thing like i had a meeting recently with kenya bradshaw y'all y'all know kenya kenya is Mm -hmm. brilliant she is Mm -hmm. just brilliant brilliant people shout out to kenya she is. And, you know, shout out to Kenya like 10 times over because every time I see her, she says something positive, but she makes me think about something. This last time, she told me something y'all all probably know that I didn't know was this thing around uh, literacy in Cuba. And, you know, like after the revolution, they, they just made it their priority. They were going to make all their literate people literate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't going to be a lot of money uh, spent on it, but they made practitioners of people and sent them out into the, the fields and into the, the, the countrysides, whatever. And then they raised everybody's literacy. Everybody's poor is post-revolution, right? But how did everybody, so, so in the United States, shortly after slavery, something very similar happened. Exactly. The fastest rate of literacy acquisition for black people was right after slavery. The 20 to 40 years after slavery, it was the most astounding acquisition of literacy in the, in the history of acquisition. Which, which makes right. a lot of right. yeah, that wasn't just and, and they were the American poorest at that point. And history. it was adult literacy and children. It wasn't just children. There was adult night schools. So if you couldn't read and you were adult, they were crowding into schools. Mm-hmm. But so here we are in this in 2019 with cell phones and iPads and, you know, nightclubs and, you know, I don't know, whatever people do with their money now and all this stuff, right? And we can't do this now because somebody reads on a fourth grade level in 2019. We can't get our kids literate at, at all. But what you're what talking am I missing? About that, what you're, what's missing is that sense of urgency and that sense of, you know what? I know the common enemy, right? Like I know the common enemy. I know that that the I, in Cuba, they were surrounded, right? Like they knew like, hey, we, you know, we have to up our game. We have to make sure that our whole population is literate. After emancipation, the same thing, right? And you had you had straight intellectual soldiers saying, "Hey, I'm gonna like I know ten words. I'm gonna teach you those ten. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. those who knew twenty words, I'm gonna teach you those twenty. We're gonna use the Bible. We're we're gonna here match the songs and and the words and the preachers to the words that's on the page, right? Like it was that sense of urgency and this this communal feeling, like it is us against the world." We've lost that. It's now it's not, it's like, you know, every, like, oh, it's just me or it's just my, like, no, you're, you're, one, you're not alone. Two, there's a whole bunch of people. And then three, we can't, we can't dismiss the role of leadership in, the, in these situations, right? I want to just give a shout out to like, you know, um, real leaders that, that the NAACP uh, had, like Cecil B. Moore in Philly. Another one in Philly ended up moving in New York, to New York, Milton Arthur Gallimason. If you, if you heard of, uh, uh, Ballad or the Bullet from Malcolm, you know, one of my favorite mm-hmm. things ever. Mm-hmm. He mentions Mill and Arthur Gallimason. And what he talks about is like, you know what, Gallimason was not happy with Roy Wilkins and the rest of the NAACP who was like just slow walking some of the things that they said, no, we need changes now. He, he mentioned that, you know what, there's no bigger oppression than what black kids are subjected to in these public schools. This was right. in the 60s. Real quick, real quick let me jump in. All right, so since you're talking about the 60s and that's themed, let's stay there, right? Because like you got you got a lot of these nuanced black people that uh, <laughs> have, uh, <laughs> that have uh, reached a, reached a level of success in society, and and you know they forget about 
50 years ago. So they think that, oh, I see the light now. I'm making more money than other black folks and whatnot. So therefore, I can perch myself above and cast judgment. So black home ownership in 1968 was 40%. In 2018, black home ownership is 40%. Black incarceration in 1968 was 604 people per 100,000. It's now 1,730 per 100,000. Black unemployment in 1968 was 6.7%. Black unemployment now is 7.5%. What's happening, fellas? I mean, I think like what, what Sharif uh, just said, though, about our leadership, like not all black people are starving right now. Not all mm-hmm. of them are in jail. Not all of them are, all of them are incarcerated. But right. we have a we have a pretty active leadership class of people. Right. We've had a black president. We got black people in Congress. We got black people running for president again. Um, you all have been to the conferences before we got on this call. We were talking about fancy people going to another conference today that's going on. And, and you're going to know 15 people at that conference who are there. We're not without our wealth. We have a certain set of wealth that we never had before. But Charles is a good example. So Charles is a, a newly minted PhD or ED. I'm sorry. Don't let me get it wrong. But but don't don't correct me, bro. Just like, listen, just take it as I'm ignorant and old. So, so just like, anyways, right? Just ignorant and old. But, 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 you know, Charles and I have had this conversation before where PhDs used to be a communal property. It used to be like we used to own those together. Now, I make a, a habit of reading my people's dissertations because you put all that work into it. Somebody should read it. And none of y'all really you like publish this. So you, you, you sent me like I, all you sent me was one chapter. Oh, I'll send you the whole thing. Go ahead. Yeah, you only sent me one chapter like because because you probably felt like it's going to take me a while to understand. That. <laughs> I'm, I'm OK with it. I'm OK yeah, with it. You know, I know how y'all do. Continue, I know how y'all do. But anyways, <laughs> I read all of these dissertations that my people put out. And I think to myself, we're not without tools. We're not without scholarship. We're not without churches. We're not without nonprofits. We're not without people in with positional power. So what the hell is the problem? I think the problem is very honestly, is that we have some government loving people in, in our in our race. They they really do love government so much. They they really feel like government was a thing that saved us at some point. And it it actually has crippled us and disabled us because we're actually no longer responsible for our own children. Our children are basically wards of the state and we're fighting with the state to do a good job. That's a fact. We're we're literally fighting with the state. Please do a good job with my child. Please, please. God damn it. Take your child away from that state. And that's where where all that blind trust comes in. I think, I mean, I think a good example of the opposite and I I appreciate what you just said too, Chris. Like, I I sent y'all a video of... um, the Oakland Reach, which is a parent organization here in Oakland, and its leader, Lakeisha Young, she's just a force, man. She's she went up to the school board meeting on some Malcolm X stuff. Which, she's real. But she's she real. talking to them. <laughs> she's a black woman, and she got black and brown parents. And what she had them do was, while she was giving her address to the board, all those black parents turned around and looked them people in the eye to see who was gonna have something to say. And anytime one of them officials had something to say, they was like, check this out. I have real babies in these schools. Mm-hmm. And those people go got kids that go to traditional schools, charter schools, homeschool, whatever, right? And what I saw in that power, that harness, one, it was just a bad moment. It was just on some Malcolm X 
in the movie where he got the finger at the hospital and like they turned on. It was just beautiful, man. But secondly, like when we actually realize our power, like we step out real differently because you don't yell at a black mama the same way you yell at like an education advocate. Right. You don't you don't yell at a black mom the same way when it's a group of them and they empowered with black dads there and Latino moms and Latino dads, like real parents, like you're not shouting them down the same way. Uh, because then what I saw happen live, right, is I saw people then say what they would usually say is these people bought off by billionaires and things like that. But you them people not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, the 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 argument changed to, well, look at these look at these billionaires turn us against each other. Like, because they know it's not <laughs> arguing with them people, right? And so I just say that to say, man, we got some folks that, like, when we actually tap into that black power and that brown power, it's something that's unstoppable. And I'm going to say this, you know, the same way we got the eight black hands, I can't wait till we see the eight brown hands. If there was ever a moment where black and brown people kind of needed each other. Black and brown, get down. I think, I think this is one of those moments. And I think that we you know, that's not something that we should be starting because we black people. But I think that when folks come together and just be like, look, this is how this has been year after year after year after year. And you just like, I'm done with this, yo. Like, it's a real problem. Listen, man, I know that we have these conversations about Republican or Democrat or liberal, conservative, whatever. Listen, I don't, ha- I don't have those. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you talking really in the wrong set of hands, bro, because we got all different kinds of political <laughs> stuff going on. But, here, but here's, but no, no, no. But here's the thing, though, right? Because I wanted to say, I wanted to address what you said, Chris. Because you was like, we some government loving people. So here's the thing, right? Like living with my grandmother in Lincoln Court in Paducah, Kentucky, right? Like it was government housing. I had government cheese. It was welfare. It was all these things. And so grateful for those things that I got because I would have been asked out without it. You know what I mean? Like if I'm just keeping it a buck. But my grandmother was very clear with me around. And when you grow up, this will not be your this. You will not depend on these people for your life. Mm. You you will not. If I don't do anything else right by you, you need to learn how to take care of yourself as a man. That don't mean that we don't keep government in check. That don't mean that we don't keep services that help people. But the goal of my life was not to grow up and have to depend on that same government to make sure that I'm okay and that people that look like me okay. When there is a racist history with this government that does not take care of his people, Tuskegee, when there's racist like systems that do not take care of black folks, look at like the 80s and, 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 and drugs and how many black folks got incarcerated, right? Like, why would I turn over all my power back to an entity that has systemically and systematically over and over and over again knocked me down at the knees? Like, I don't understand that. It's a good, it's a good question. Why, why, why does it happen? It's a good question because, like, listen... We, we can say all this like Malcolm X stuff all we want because we all own it and we believe it and we, we, you know, we for it. Like this is a militant podcast. Like we hella militant right now. <laughs> but, but like, but like, but like, you know, like, listen, the reality of it is you go try to shut down one of these government schools and a whole bunch of people come showing up talking about, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. I'm an alumni. Yes. I love this yes. thing. This is the best yes. school I've ever seen in my life. Day before it, they were complaining about that school. You, you, you go try and close it, and all of a sudden you get a different tune. So we got to talk about, we, you, I don't know what we could talk about it right now, but I, just listen, there's a, different, there's a different set of a parental responsibility that we're not talking about right now. There is a, a, a sense of ignorance reduction that needs to take place, and there's also a sense of our bougie class chasing 
the wrong prize so much that they can't even be useful to us, right? We have a bougie class of people who actually should be running things, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, listen, Sharif, you'll know, you'll know this, right? In the 60s, there was a lot of talk around if American Black people ever got their stuff together, it would be a signal to all of Black world everywhere mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. that this is what's possible. I've heard this. I've read so this. Guess, so guess what has never happened, right? <laughs> well, you know, you know what ain't happened. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and it's not because it can't happen. It's just because I think, actually, to be very honest with you, when people get successful, they it's transition. They transition. They and transition they out, of, out of this class. You know, Charles, we've had this conversation. I, I, I begged you. I was like, brother, when you get this doctorate, please do not slap on that stupid-ass bow tie and start doing something different than what you do now. Yo, right? Don't, don't try and become, don't become something that you're not. Right? <laughs> Stay you, because you're cool the way you are right now. You'll just be you with a doctorate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah let, me, let me clarify for those people that think that Charles is going to change. Charles has in gold fronts right now. I mean, Charles yeah. For the thing <laughs> that he needs to represent for. But Charles, he does look like, he does look like he's going to rob you, though. Don't he? <laughs> look at him. He does. I, I don't know. I would lock my car doors if I saw him walking by. You would, you would like a car. Right, right. Um, he looked like Charles, Dr. Oakland. I got Oakland. a question. Um, so you talked about your grandmother. You talked about government. Uh, right. What nachos have you had that are better than that cheese that you used to get? Hey, man. Listen, bro, that was some good cheese, man. I'm not going to lie. And <laughs> never good cheese. I love that cheese. With you Let me tell you. I love what is wrong with y'all people? Yeah. And what, you, you ain't even talking about <laughs> the peanut butter that came in the, white, the, in the white container, and it had all the oil. Oh, God damn. Y'all killing me. I'm just I mean, so, that was, but, but, yo, but, but before we go, before we start talking about government assistance and we get oh, over, underwhelmed by the, the government assistance that we've been able to get from the government, I got a question for y'all because, you know, we have white folks that listen to, listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. And so is this an attack on white people? I mean, why? No. That's 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 that narcissism right there, yo. Like, listen. I mean, white people and whiteness are two, you know, different things. You know. I mean, I'm I don't I'm not worried about that. I mean, listen, man. Like, I, I'm not saying that I'm worried. You you when something's in power, like it's it's ever present, it's there and all that stuff, man. But check this out, fam. Like, I'm worried about my people, the people that I can touch, and what they can do in order to like make sure that the odds are changed for them. Like that, that, that's, that's what I'm concerned with. Right. Like I, I don't expect people to take better care of me than my own people. And I need to have conversations with my people. And I think that that's just kind of where it is. We keep, listen, man, we keep like, I just watched a strike and it was a really crazy looking strike. You know what I mean? And the crazy thing is, is I'm a person, y'all know me, man. I played it. I'm nuanced, Joe. I say, I, I you know, y'all call me <laughs> and all this stuff but this the thing right let me and let me keep it all the way 100 with it you feel me like like i was upset before the strike because i'm like yo like yo like folks just can't teach our kids they they just can't teach like it's, it's some stuff is happening some people can teach well but a lot of people can't but then when the strike happened y'all want to know what happened what i thought i was interested that's the most teaching I've ever seen in my life. I don't see. I saw more kids talking to me about neoliberalism. I saw more kids talking to me, giving me stats of the past, the present, and the future. I saw like, so I was like, I was, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was like, oh my god, like, oh, folks can teach when they want to teach. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, 
when, they when can people, teach you to be dumb. They can teach no, you to no, be backwards. But the but the know? point, but but what I'm saying is, is like that was another wake up call, man. It's like, oh, all this time I thought you were just struggling to actually get through, you know what I'm saying, and make real impacts and connections. But when you wanted to, we we was we would almost have like ten blue ribbon schools at that point. You feel me? So I mean, when I look at this, man, when I say black folks are on their own. This is me saying nobody has the answers for you. Nobody. And I want to just say, like, whatever, whatever camp you might fall into or whatever the case is, and let me just even put it out there like this. Let's say everybody got good intentions. They don't. They don't. But let's say everybody got good intentions. But guess what's, what, guess what paves the road to hell? To hell. I knew you were going to say that. See, you're about <laughs> to bust into a country song, weren't you? Being <laughs> from Kentucky. What's up, Kentucky? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> guess what paves it, right? And the road thing- to hell. And, and guess what? And my thing is, I can spend my time being mad at teachers and mad at a system and mad at this and mad at that and mad at this person or whatever the case is. I can fall into the fights where one side is saying, oh, billionaires run this. When I know for a fact that billionaires give a lot of money to our traditional schools as well. I guess your billionaires is better than these billionaires or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, what I'm telling you as black folks is that ain't nobody else going to step up and serve our kids better than what we are. And ain't nobody going to be more vigilant about your babies than what you can be. And if you give that power away, if you give that power to somebody else, you can't be shocked at the, at the outcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, back to, to uh, Ankram's question, you know, like, you know, white folks, they, you know, I, yes, I agree with you, Cole, that we're talking to black people, but I don't, you know, I think at the same time, I'm not going to absolve white people's role in, in all of this. Oh, I hope that's not what it sounds like. There was no, that- it doesn't. Oh, I'm, just adding, <laughs> I'm just adding that, um, adding that no. to it. You know, and, and I think the other piece, it goes back to that leadership. I, th- I think, you know, as, as soon as our, our leaders, you know, lost track of what was most important, which is self-determination, and started saying like, hey, I demand you accept my money. I demand you allow me to eat a burger next to you. Um, instead of building our own, I think that's when things got diluted. I think that's when folks got distracted. I think that's when the trusting issue came came about. Where before, it, it was very clear as far as like, you know what, we were on our own. And if we were going to um, lift ourselves up, it was with, you know, our families, our communities, ourselves. And I think that self-determination piece, if we don't get that back as, as a community, right. It's not going to happen. I mentioned Gallinson, um earlier, right? Like at first he was on like, you know, like, hey, we got to deseg. We got to deseg. I mean, he led a, a, a boycott, like unbelievable. When we talk about like when the parents going to go on strike, when the students going to go on strike, he, he, he led one of those back in the 60s mm-hmm. in New York, like shut things down. Like, you know, everybody emptied those, those uh, buildings, right? But it was interesting. Once he became, he got elected to the school board, and he really got to see what the system was. You know, from the outside, he was like, hey, let our people in, let our children in. You know, we want to deseg these schools, right? Once he got on the school board, and it's kind of like how uh, Stewart talks about, like, once he got on the school board and saw all, like, that's how right. deep it goes, that's kind of how, you know, Milton Arthur Gallison was, too. Once he got there, he said, forget the, the I'm dropping the desegregation stuff. He was like, you know what? These schools need to be turned over to black people and just give us the schools, give us the funds, and we'll take care of it ourselves. Like that's I, a, I just want to say that was my story, too. Yeah, that's an interesting like, education, I, right? I just want to be real about, about, like, I was very much an integration person before I joined the school board. Mm-hmm. Like, I, as a matter of fact, I was kind of militant about it. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, everything you hear Nicole Hannah-Jones said, I probably said in 2006, right? 
before before I got on the school board. I was on the school board for six months to a year before I completely changed my tune because I saw how much damage we were doing. But I want to say something to Ray, Raymond Ankrum's question Wait, too you, about this. Like, that, you know, like, you like before you say that, yeah. She need to get on a goddamn school board. <laughs> She's back in Iowa, not anywhere where there's no black children. She don't. But, uh, like we sent it to Puerto Rico. I say this, grief in mind. Ray and Chris, y'all just can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> you just can't. I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. That, that, so, but anyways, to answer his question around this thing, we can't be fully human uh, ourselves if we can't admit that it's not just actually black kids that the system mm-hmm. oh, is not doing well for. And this was another experience I had on the school board. I had the experience of visiting white schools and looking white kids directly in their faces and having the experience where I thought to myself at some point, like, um, these are my kids too, right? Like that was a trip for me because, you know, I represented these kids and looking at them, Absolutely. they are kids. And, 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 and they, were, they were actually kind of awesome, right? I, don't always, I didn't always agree with their parents on stuff, but the kids were amazing. The kids, the kids are kids, and 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 these were my kids too. But what I can tell you is, as much as we think black parents don't know when they're getting a raw deal, I honestly think that white folks overestimate how well their kids are doing too, and how much of a raw deal that they're getting. We had schools where white kids were all proficient, and they just weren't making any year-to-year growth, but they were proficient and they had a good social situation. So looked like great schools, except for when you match them up to say like our, our nearest suburb, the kids were actually all proficient too, but they were making the years growth. They were actually growing and doing better than some of our kids. I actually just think like, for sure, we care about the 8 million black children. Right. And, and Charles, you said earlier, we should, you know, we should hope that there's a eight brown hands and, and that somebody cares about the 13 million Latinx students, right? right. But you ain't gonna stop there. Right. That, that's not the only people getting a raw deal from the American public education. I, I, I live in Kentucky, fam. It's a lot of you know, like, and, and I'm talking, and it's not just like the poor white folks. There are middle class white folks who are not getting the deal that they think. Especially, but we talk about white kids. This is what we do. We make all of our kids. We awfulize our kids, and we lionize their kids. We act mm. like their kids don't have no problems. Mm. <laughs> like their problems. Like like if you're a white kid in the American public education system, everything's fine. Right. Uh, there's no depression. There's no bulimia. There's no suicide. There's no low grades. There's no parents having to pay people to take other people to take their tests for them. There's none of that, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Listen, can we can we put that that myth to rest now? That like if you white and you in these schools, you just okay? Right. You know, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, bro. But I was looking at some statistics from uh, Minnesota the other day, and homeless white kids. Outscore well situated black kids. All right, see, now you're gonna hit me where it hurts, huh? See, I see how you want to be. <laughs> see, you're like, you're the type oh, of person that comes to somebody's man. house and, and just like farts everywhere. That's, a, that's what you do. That's what you do, bro. You just like, you like gassy. Unless, you just like, you just go like show up and just say something like that. What's wrong so, with you? Let's, let's wrap this into our final thoughts. We at that good 45 minute mark. So, uh, Chris, you want to do the honors, brother, of, of, of starting us off in our last leg? Yeah, my final thought is just this. We, our leadership class has to step up and start a black education movement. We can't just keep complaining about the ed reform movement not being for us and about us. Just take that as truth and go ahead and start your own movement. Make it happen. Uh, 
to parents, I just say, you have to have two things going on for you. Number one, you have to actually realize that you are responsible only, solely, just you. There's nobody else responsible for the intellectual development of your child. And if you fall down on that job, nothing else, it's nobody else's fault after that, right? It starts with you. And if you need help, then we all need to be helping people who need help. But it starts there. That's the bottom line. And you have to have a plan. Write a damn plan. Write your hopes and dreams for what you want your child to have and bring it with you everywhere you go and keep that year to year updated and tell teachers, we're not going to have this thing where you just do everything. I'm going to tell you what happened last year. I'm going to tell you what my child's about, how my child learns and all that stuff. And this is going to be a partnership. If you're not doing that, the rest of us downstream can blame a lot of other stuff, you know, racism, the system, the man, all things like that's like blaming rain for making you wet. That's what rain does. It makes you wet. That's, you know, racists are going racist. Cartels going cartel. Like, you know, Charles is going like be Charles. You can be a doctorate, you know, <laughs> have a brother, right? You know, this is what you're going to do. This is what you do. Like, it's like Geico, bro. So let's not, let's stop saying the system's racist and blah, blah, act like that's profound. That's what's up. Brother Sharif? Yeah, I'm, um, you know, all this uh, reminded me about a piece that I'm trying to, um, you know, send out, but I was really trying to, my mom, my mother and I were having a conversation about this uh, black psychologist, Bobby, uh, Bobby E. Wright. And what he talked about, like the, the menticide, you know, the attack on the, on the black mm. child's uh, brain and intellect. And, you know, one of, one of the quotes that I started to piece out with is what he says is we must be about the business of liberating the minds of black children in order for that to occur. The minds of all blacks who interact with them must also be liberated. There is no other way. And so a lot of what we talked about is really is, you know, who's surrounding the, the child, who's who's surrounding the community, whether they're in leadership uh, formally or not. Um, those brains have to be liberated um, as well. And without that, the child doesn't stand a chance. That was beautiful. Brother Ray. I just think as a community, you know, we're so hell bent on what's going on with these rappers and athletes and whatnot to where we're not paying enough attention to what's going on with our kids and, and, and how they're living their lives. I think that we need to be the expert on our students and we need to advocate for them. So it doesn't matter if you have a first grade reading level or if you have a doctorate, you need to be passionate about education and your kids need to know that you will go to bat for them at any given opportunity. And that does not mean that you show up to the school ready to fight physically Man. but sometimes depending on what, what i was about is. to say i don't know about that that's a dumb rule that's a dumb rule bro. <laughs> no, first of all it wasn't a rule Take all the teeth out of what you was about <laughs> it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a rule but like the first your first line of defense shouldn't be let me put this vaseline in my face either <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like prison, and I'm scared. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> you know, I, want, I want our parents. I want our parents to advocate better for their kids. I want them to want more, and I want them to have a high bar for their kids, so that you know when other folks have low bars, you know the kid is not thinking about the low bar that the teacher may have said. They're thinking about the high bar that the parent has for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my take. Uh, I appreciate that, Ray. I think. Mindful, I agree with everything that y'all said. I think, you know, it's not necessarily about me being at war with schools or teachers or the government or whatever the case is. What I'm saying is, is to simply 
not give your trust over to those folks. Because if the, if, the, if everybody doing what they need to do, it don't matter if you trust them or not. Because what's supposed to be happening is happening. And if something don't happen, then you on top of it. I think as we had this conversation, man, like for parents, when I say you on your own, I mean that shit. And I just want to be very clear about that, right? Like even when people got the best of intentions, man, like at the end of the day, like that's, that's you, that's your baby. And I just, you know, that's, that's just something that's just, I just can't stress it. And I, and what I really want to just do this just for my mom, man, like it ain't, I'm not saying this thinking that parents don't care. I'm not saying this thinking that people are lazy. I'm saying this as somebody who had a mom who loved the hell out of him and just really felt that it was a responsibility of the school building that she paid taxes for to do his job. And it didn't always do that. And for the critics out there that like to come at me and say, this is Charles again, complaining about the public education system that now has him being a doctor. Uh, Snow, sorry, it had nothing to do with that public education system. It, it, it was, I am a doctor in spite of that public education system. I am with these eight black hands in spite of that, in, in spite of that system, man. And like, that's just something that I just want to like really put out there to parents. I also got to make sure that I give a shout out to Ed Inquiry, just because that brother be taking bits of our show and chopped it up. You brother, you really been a super fan. And I want yeah, to thank you. bro. For sure. um, he does. We, we got to send him a t-shirt. Okay. Well, we, well, we got to make some. So what happened with that. We need to yeah, talk we got to get them some merch, man. We got to send out some merch will, to man. some people. But I want to yeah. thank him, and I want to thank y'all, man. And if you got questions about it, look, if you didn't agree with something, that's great. Hit us up. Let's have a dialogue about it. Let's have a conversation. And for some of these folks that are high-profile, people that don't like this show, we, we love you. And if you want to come on, you be our guest. We will, we will make sure you are well accommodated. Uh, bring on a good microphone, and let's do this, man, because <laughs> let's have this conversation. Like, let's do it, because I think that I'm not even cool with giving our conversations and our arguments off to white folks. Like, I'd rather argue with my own people about how to save our people than having, man, listen, I, I, I'm going to just keep going, so I'm going to shut up. This has been an A Black Hands podcast. People... We are so happy to have our brother Chris back. Chris, you did great, man. Let's Thank you, brothers. Chris, some love as we go out. And we Thank will you, brothers. You next time. Take care. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>